Listen for the word of God. The season of Advent is a time of anticipation and shifting perspective. Opening ourselves to a different perspective can bring a sense of hope in the midst of despair. Allowing joy to creep in no matter what, opening to the perspectives of others can shift our fear to compassion, turning swords into plows. Salvation is near, says the scripture. When we wake up, when we prepare room in our lives for new light, new insight, new hope to enter. And let us hear from the prophet of Isaiah. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And a reading from the letter to the Romans. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than it was when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, friends, it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. There is a new song in the air, a new beautiful, radical, joy-filled song. Today is the very first Sunday in Advent. It is a new beginning in the Christian year. It's a time when we start to see things differently, we sing things differently. Advent's the season when we prepare for the coming of the Lord, the birth of Jesus. For four weeks, we wait and we watch and we wonder, together making that journey towards Christmas. The signs are around us. There's a new song in the air. 
We prepare in all kinds of ways for Christmas, in church, at home, out in the world. We engage in all kinds of rituals, from lighting the Advent candle to my personal favorite, playing Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You on repeat. I've already been doing that. In fact, my three-year-old son, Sam, this week, we were cuddling on the couch um, on Thanksgiving break, and he looked up at me and he said, Mommy, all I want for Christmas is you. And then without skipping a beat, he said, in presents. <laughs> but it was a sweet moment that I'll take. We prepare in all kinds of ways. Well, 300 years ago, Isaac Watts wrote the hymn, Joy to the World. This hymn, the sense of joy in Christ, is our worship theme here at Sandy Springs UMC for the Advent and the Christmas season. Joy to the World is that new song that is in the air. Watts was inspired by Psalm 98. It proclaims that all of heaven and nature sing together a new song. It's this cosmic performance of voices lifted up in joy and peace and love, of salvation and hope and peace. We sing and we prepare room in our hearts for Christ to come and to be the embodiment of our greatest hopes, our greatest joy. This first Sunday of Advent, we reflect on the question, how do we prepare for the birth of Christ with joy, with hope? This week, I heard a story on NPR about the positive psychological benefits for children who grow up hearing family stories around the table. It was an interview with a woman named Sue Schellenbarger who had written a column on that subject for the Wall Street Journal, but she actually based her column on a study that was done right here in Atlanta at Emory University um, uh, here about how deeply children listen to those stories, and they had some surprising findings. This study showed that 90% of teenagers and young adults reported that they remember the family stories that they heard around the table. Even when parents thought that they weren't listening or they were disinterested, they seemed that they were on their phone. 90% of people as they grew up could retain those stories. When we tell family stories repeatedly, she says, parents may be surprised to learn that their children actually acquire a sense of identity from hearing family stories. They learn about their past, people who came before them. If parents describe their emotions when they tell stories, the kids learn about regulating their own emotions. They can give them names. And the examples in the stories can even serve as antidotes for some of the pressures that kids face. They can see maybe it's okay to take risks because people who've gone before me have done so. Or, you know, she says maybe Uncle Henry really screwed up once, but he turned out okay. It's okay to make mistakes along the way. She gave a lot of examples, one about a woman who was divorced young, raising young kids by herself, worked almost every day as a seamstress just to put food on the table for her children. But her dream had always been to be a social worker. So at age 60, she went back to school to be a social worker. And from 60 to 78, she had some of the most rewarding years of her life being able to work in that field. Well, her daughter, who knows this story and recounts this story, says that it gave her the courage when she was 50 to go back to school to be a college instructor, which had always been her dream. And then she told the story to her students about her mom's life, about her life, about going back 
back to school at 50, uh, an extension of her family, her students, to inspire everybody to say it's not too late to pursue your dreams. These stories give us a sense of identity. They help us to navigate life now and moving forward. When I was listening to that NPR interview, I couldn't help but think of my grandfather, John Hurst. We call him Papa. Uh, He's 96. He's living in Macon now. Uh, He's a veteran Marine pilot in World War II and Korea, part of that greatest generation. He grew up in middle Georgia in Perry and Fort Valley area. And by any account, his younger years could be considered tragic. He's one of four. He has two older brothers, Hunter and Sam. He has a twin sister named Jewel. And when Papa and his sister Jewel were just two years old, their mother passed away, probably from complications from childbirth um, 94 years ago. She just never really recovered. His father, named Sam, like my son, Uh, was left with four children. It was a day when men didn't raise children by themselves. He was a traveling salesman on top of that. And as I got older and listened and pieced together more of this story, uh, we think he was probably too an alcoholic. And so he just didn't provide stability for his family, economic or otherwise. What followed her death was a series of family members, grandparents, aunts, uncles stepping in to help care for these four children who were left without their mother. One particular aunt, Aunt Clifford, um, my grandfather's mother had, there were five sisters and they all had boys' names, so she was Aunt Clifford. Uh, She was a Baptist missionary, and she went to China and started a girls' school in China, but she actually left her time there early um, when her sister passed away and came back so she could help uh, raise the children. Eventually, though, um, different different family members aged and weren't able to take care of the kids, so they were split up, including Papa and his twin sister. And Papa, in high school, um, and then after his father passed away, ended up with Uncle Alva and Aunt Kate, for whom I'm named. They owned a farm. Papa worked on the farm and the ice house. Never quite a son in the family, but he earned his keep. My grandmother, who then married into that family, um, loved to tell the story of the very first time that she met Uncle Alva and Aunt Kate. She and Papa were engaged, and so they invited her over for dinner. Um, They were pretty well off. They had set the table with fancy china and crystal and silverware. She was really nervous she was going to mess up, wouldn't know which fork to use. But they were kind and gracious to her, and she started to feel more comfortable as they sat down to eat. Then Aunt Kate says, now it's time for everyone to go around the table and share a memorized Bible verse. We always do this before we pray and we eat. Well, my grandmother was a good Presbyterian girl, but Presbyterians do not memorize Bible verses like Baptists do. So she started to panic. (laughs) This was her introduction to her family. She was also livid um, because my grandfather had not warned her that she needed to be prepared as they came down to dinner, and they did this every single night. They came to her first, and the only thing she knew to say was the shortest Bible verse there is, Jesus wept. (laughs) It counts, though. (laughs) Um, And you can imagine there was probably some weeping and gnashing of teeth on that car ride home uh, for my grandfather. Uh, But then they went around the table, and my grandmother quickly learned um, what happened every night at that table. Uncle Alva says, as he said every night of his life, wives, obey your husbands. 
And then Aunt Kate quipped back, husbands, love your wives. This was their shtick, their routine that they said every single night. When I was in middle school, I did a family history project, and I interviewed Papa, and I had heard most of the stories before he loves to tell a good story. But what I'll never forget is how he characterized his growing up, because from my perspective, his childhood seemed sad and destabilizing, hard, likely filled with grief and a sense of being passed around, nobody to take him in permanently. I would understand if he carried around bitterness with him, or resentment, or anger. But I'll never forget that he looked at me and he said, Kate, I am so grateful for my years growing up and all of the people who stepped in to care for me and my siblings, who sacrificed who they were and what they were doing to make a great effort to make sure that all of us were cared for and were loved. It's compassion beyond anything I could have hoped for or expected or deserved. So I want to spend my life making sure that I give back to others a small measure of all of that love that so many people showed me. I've been blessed, he said. Our family stories give us a sense of identity. They help us navigate life now and moving forward. I'm forever grateful for Papa's story, not just his story, but his perspective on his story and the ways it shaped me, continues to shape me, that he's still around to tell his stories. Advent, friends, it is a time in the church year every year when we gather together and we hear those familiar family stories of our faith. We let them shape us. We remember them. We let them form us, remember who we are, where we've come from, and where we're going. This first Sunday of Advent, we reflect on that question. How do we prepare for the birth of Christ with joy and with hope? Well, we tell these Christian family stories that shape us. We sing the songs of our faith. We hear the stories from Scripture that shaped Jesus, who he is, who he will be. We hear the beautiful song of the prophet Isaiah that Joe just read for us, the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of our faith, proclaiming a vision of a world where nations will study war no more, where swords are beat into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, tools of destruction and violence and evil and hatred, tools of death. They are transformed by the power of God, and with our human hands into tools that nurture the land. These are tools of agriculture that cultivate food and nutrition for a hungry world. Tools they give life. God's story, the story of Advent, the story of Jesus Christ, is one of turning death to life. What hope this gives us. What a story this is, what a song it is. Come, Isaiah says, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The story of Advent is the story of John the Baptist, which we are going to hear in detail next week. That crazy uncle of our faith, this wild and woolly wilderness preacher who prepares a way for Jesus by preaching an alternative vision of the world. He preaches peace in the face of violence like his ancestor Isaiah. Those words were in his heart and his head and his lips. He gave hope to people who were living on the margins. 
He sets the stage for Jesus to come, even though John would lose his life by doing so. He believed so much in this prince of peace that he did not let fear get in his way. What a hope, what a story, what a song. The story of Advent is the story of Mary, which we will hear in two weeks. She is the mother of our faith, the scared teenager living in poverty, who through tremendous trust and faith carried the Savior of the world. She sings a song, a new song, one where God lifts up the lowly and brings down the powerful from their thrones, where God fills up the empty and sends the rich away. What hope, what a story, what a song. The stories of Advent are at once familiar. I also find, though, that they become new every single time that I hear them. That NPR interview on the power of telling stories ended by talking about how every time we hear these stories, depending on our life situation, depending on our level of maturity, what we're going through, they take on new meaning in our lives, right? You know this. We can grasp on to different parts, and they speak to us in new ways. This is true of our faith stories. It's why we tell them over and over and over again. These stories of Advent are radically countercultural. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and be a Scrooge of a preacher and tell you that everything cultural about Christmas we should banish from our lives. I find great joy in Santa and those amazingly terrible addictive Hallmark movies and hot cocoa. But as Christians, our primary songs of the season are and should be shaped by God's narrative of hope and joy and peace and love. Our preparation is marked by hearing and knowing and telling the stories of our faith because they shape us continually in new ways, ways that are often contrary to the stories of the world, so we can sing joy to the world wherever we are. Now, joy doesn't negate suffering or tragedy or the real struggles that we face in our lives. In fact, our stories of Advent and Christmas are full of people who lived in the midst of war and violence, like the prophet Isaiah speaking that word of peace, who live under Roman occupation and threats to safety and stability, like John the Baptist, who are judged and scorned and some nights don't know where they will lay their heads, like Mother Mary. Joy isn't the same as happiness. But it is the solid ground that we walk on in the midst of whatever other life stories get thrown our way. Because our joy comes from God's new songs of transformation. Violence turned to peace, swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks, emptiness to fullness, and death into life. We don't need NPR or the Wall Street Journal to tell us about the power of family stories that are told around the table. Christians for millennia have been gathering around this very table where we will gather in a few moments, telling that family story of Christ's life, eating with the poor and the despised and the tax collectors, the story of his death on the night in which he gave himself up for us. He took bread and the story of his resurrection, 
We tell that story of that day when all of us will feast together at the heavenly banquet table. Friends, let us prepare him room by telling the stories of our faith, encountering them anew, and singing with all heaven and all earth, joy to the world. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. God, we give thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. In the season of Advent, may we receive this nourishment of love, of grace, of forgiveness, of mercy, of hopeful joy, and go out of this place filled up, sharing it with the world. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ who is coming. Amen. As you go this morning, go with this blessing. Leave this place with hopeful joy in your heart, knowing that God's story, whatever the world throws our way, is one of turning death to life. Let that be our joy. Go forth with the peace of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you. Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, We're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear.